Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 213 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today I have the pleasure to speak with Dolores, Eric's mom. Eric is the youngest of Dolores's four children, and she lost him suddenly in a car accident now six years ago. She talks about her grief journey and how her own faith has evolved over the last seven years. We also spend a lot of time talking about her writing and how in her writing she has helped keep Eric alive. If you feel called to share your story on the Always Andy's Mom podcast, please feel free to email me at marcy, M-A-R-C-Y, at andysmom.com. I love to hear from people. I love to hear stories, and I love to help people share their stories. So definitely email if you are feeling like you want to share. But right now, I just want you to sit back and enjoy listening to Dolores, Eric's mom. Thank you so much, Dolores, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Oh, well, you're welcome. And thank you so much, Marcy. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you too. And I am really looking forward to hearing all about your story. I just have heard a little bit so far in what you've emailed to me, and I'm excited. I'm excited. Great. So am I. Okay. So why don't you start out by just telling us all about your youngest son, Eric? Yes, uh, Eric was uh, my youngest of four. Uh huh. I have an older. He had, or he has an older brother, two sisters, and then Eric. So he actually was our surprise child and um, what a wonderful surprise, of course, he was and is. And and I bet to his older brother, especially, right? Say that he again? To his older brother, especially, because he had the two little sisters and then to get, oh. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Eric was unexpected. But again, thank God that, you know, he came along. He was part of our very, very busy lives. I'm a retired school teacher. So, you know, my husband had his job and I was working full time and taking, you know, driving the kids everywhere. Eric did the usual playing baseball. I, I see that. Um, Andy did. Yeah. Uh, you have that baseball in Andy's room there. And so Eric did that. He was actually the only one his brother did not. His sisters didn't do too much sports a little bit. But uh, yeah, so we hung out that baseball field from when he was in kinder till about 10th grade. And then he he shifted over to his main love full time, well, full time, meaning his full uh, spare time with drums because Eric was a drummer. And when he was nine, mm-hmm. he told us that he wanted a drum kit. Uh-huh. He said, great, save your money, you know, and he'd save his allowance and birthday money and, and everything else because his 
uncle, my brother, Mark, uh, was a drummer and he'd watched plenty of that. And um, that's what he wanted to do. And so at age 11, got his own drum kit and we set it up in the family room and he practiced every single day, took lessons for a few years, did something really fun in middle school where he took lessons called summer rock camp. Uh huh. Where they would get together for a week, for four hours every day for a week. And by the end of the week, they were a band, you know, they put a band together. Yeah. They played for the parents. I mean, it was really cool. And then he got into high school and did drumline and orchestra for four years. And by the time I got into college at Chapman University, he found his bandmates for his band called Jubilo Drive, which was named after one of the streets that one of the band members lived on. Oh, wow. You know, my Andy took drum lessons too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I never have said that on the podcast, I don't think. Yeah, he took drum lessons too. Oh. He got a, a drum set, like an electronic drum set kit yeah. that you could just listen to mainly with headphones. Oh. He got that in middle school. It's when we got our foster son, Valeriano, and then the two of them took lessons. So they both took lessons. Oh, how and then after Andy died, when Valeriano ended up moving out of the house, we gave Andy's drum set to him. So now it sits in his living room of his house that he's moved oh. to, and he still will play it on occasion. So anyway, it was nice memory to bring back to me that those things kind of started out because he played the French horn. But he also like loved the idea of doing jazz band, and you can't really do that with a French horn. So <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's why he he did drumming and and playing the French horn. Oh, so. that is anyway. Uh, anyway, just a cool cool little little baseball and drums. I mean, our yeah. our boys. Yeah, certainly had that in common. That is. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Oh yeah, and. You know, once his band started getting going and, and doing gigs and stuff, boy, my favorite thing was just to be there when I could, because yeah. sometimes they 11 or 12 at night and that was just too late for me. But when it was an earlier time, it was just, I don't know, hard to explain. I did grow up in a, with a family of musicians. I had an older brother who's a musician. I mean, it's just always been around me and it's just in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was awesome. He did well in college he did spend a semester abroad in madrid spain and i went to see him during my spring break from school was there with him for about four days and it was an amazing memory eric you know was just such a and i know andy's the same and probably many of the children that that you've interviewed their parents just kind and compassionate and caring never really uh, that I know of had bad word to say to anybody really took the time when he was with people to be with them. Yeah. That's one of the main comments I got after his passing was that people said that he always made you feel like you were the only one in the room. He asked questions. He was interested in what they were doing. And my husband and I have some old friends, good friends who saw him last on a few months before on New Year's Eve they had come over for dinner and Eric was still around before he was going out and he sat down and talked with, you know, these old people, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what they said. Why would this 24 year old want to sit and hang out with these old people for a while? And they talk, you know, he, he was interested in hearing what they had to say and what they were doing. So he was just, he had a, a beautiful girlfriend. Her name is Joanne and they were together a couple of years. They had known each other since high school, but they had only actually been together maybe a year or two. So 
he had just gotten, you know, he had graduated, gotten some work. He was a communications major. I forget the exact title. I'm probably saying it wrong, but a communications major, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, he had finally, this was, so he graduated, he was 22. So here he is 24. And he had finally gotten a real job that was going to pay him a real salary. He was really excited. He was still living at home along with his one sister, Vanessa. And it was in recruitment, which I don't know a lot about, but you know, it's, it was a cool thing. It was yeah. related to sales and marketing. Um, so it, he had only been there for probably finished nine days of work when he had his accident. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So he was just kind of finding his own then, wasn't he? I mean, just to get that kind of job that he was so excited about and then still being able to play in that band. Oh yeah. 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 Living his best life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. How much younger was he than the other kids? You said he was unexpected. So his immediate older sister is 16 months older. Oh, okay. Which pretty close. And then the after the uh, above that, his sisters, well, from Vanessa, then the next one, Jessica's three and a half years older than Vanessa. And then Nick was two and a half years older than or is two and a half years older than Jessica. So seven years from the oldest to the youngest. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I would love to mention quickly, uh, just in this incredible memory I have, it was just, I think, maybe two months before his accident, where uh, we live on a, a little bit of a busy street. I mean, our street's okay, but then if you just go not far at all down, there's there's a busy street. Mm -hmm. So we heard this crash, right? We heard an accident. So it was, the sun was just starting to set. So my daughter, Vanessa, and I go out, walk down a little bit, and people are coming out and looking, and there was a car, and you know, one car, and then there was this large truck that had passenger seats in the back and there were four elderly people in that truck and they had gotten out and anyway so we were looking and then I see Eric come by from the house after Vanessa and I were there and he I just watched him and he just kind of he had a bottle of water I guess he did he had a bottle of water, water in his hand and he was like standing by the younger people in the smaller car and just kind of watching them I know he was just observing and just feeling with them yeah walked over there one of the older men were sitting on the curb kind of leaning against the, the light post mm -hmm. and I look and Eric leans over and hands him a bottle of water and the man takes the bottle of water and it really struck me and it's always stayed with me just this act of kindness that surprised me and and in a way didn't because that's how he was right it's just one of the loveliest memories I have of him. Well, and I think the memory of him going into that space. I mean, that's the thing too, right? He didn't just stay on the outside and watch. He was willing yeah. to go into the space and be with those people and see what they needed. And that's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that. I talk about that kind of stuff so much as I talk about grief on people who are willing to come into it because there's there's such a difference right some people are so scared of it and so nervous about being around grieving people that they just hang back and watch and it takes mm -hmm. a special person to walk in that is a wonderful point yes yeah, that's yeah. true I love that that he did that so do you want to talk now a little bit about what did happen with the accident yeah, sure. So the night, bef well, I would love to mention that the morning, the previous 
day. Yeah. The last time I, the last time I saw him, you know, he was getting up to go to his new job. I'd get up to go teach. I guess my husband was already out of the house. I don't know where my daughter was. <laughs> Maybe yeah. she was working too. But at any point, at any rate, what usually happened is I would be down in the kitchen getting some coffee or making my lunch. And Eric would always come down and make himself a nice breakfast, even though that wasn't what I did, but he did. Uh-huh. So he'd make eggs and the sausage and whatever, the yeah. toast or maybe. So he was in it. So I can see him with his back to me again at the stove making breakfast. And he would always say, can I, would you like some? And I'd say, sure. And he'd always put a little bit on a plate we'll, and put a little pan lid over the plate just to keep it warm. And so he would do that so that by the time I was ready, you know, then I would eat. So I just, gosh, I really have that image of him making that breakfast. And then when he left, he goes, you know, walks out the door. He was hoping I know one day that he'd be moving out now with this new job. But right. I always would walk him to the door. Goodbye. Have a great day. You know, give the give the kiss. And he'd walk out. Goodbye. And, and I noticed something really that always that was so tiny, but it struck me as he's walking away and he turned back and looked at me and said goodbye again. And he had never done that before. Really? Yeah. I, I noticed it, but then I thought, yeah, I didn't really think about it. But you noticed it in the moment? Absolutely noticed it. Huh. And he went to work. Okay. So the day goes by and there was a little bit of texting. He did say, I'd said something about, you know, I'm going to bring this or that home for dinner for him and his sister. And oh, I know my husband was actually in Toronto on business. That's okay. where he was. Mm-hmm. That's why he wasn't there. And then that was a long trip because you're you're in California. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, he, he was going to be there for like eight or nine days, but he had just gotten been there a couple of days. So I had texted, you know, what about, you know, dinner? He said, oh, you know, I'm going to go out. I want to go out with my coworkers and get to know them. That's what he was like. He, right. he found he made this was important, especially he was going to get to know these people. I said, great. I said, well, it'll be here whenever you get home. So, of course, by nine o'clock, I'm getting ready to go to bed because I needed to I needed plenty of sleep. I had to get up at five and he wasn't home. And I texted him again and I said, well, I don't know. I hope everything's OK. And, you know, the food's there. I'm going to go to bed. Right. So it wasn't until the next day that I got a response that I noticed the response because I went to bed and I did go to bed. You know, there's always that little bit of, you know, I wish he was home. I don't know. You know, he's really responsible. Why wouldn't he come home early enough? So the next morning I get up at, I think it was about 5, 5.15. First thing I do is look at my phone for the text. And he said, thanks, because I said the food would be there. Thanks, period, love, period. And that came in at like 11 at night or something. So I go and I, you know, look in his room. He's not there. When I saw he wasn't there, I immediately went to my daughter's room and opened the door and she was sleeping. Yeah. He said, um, have you heard from Eric? And before she could even answer, there was a very loud pounding on the door downstairs in the front door. And I immediately knew what that was. So she, you know, jumped out of bed. We ran down the stairs, opened the door, and there was a sheriff and a coroner. Well, she was introduced. She introduced herself as the coroner, standing there saying, "Is this where Eric Cruz lives, or something like that?" And I said, "Yes." Um, and she said, "Well, I need to let you know that uh, Eric has passed away." And I, yeah, 
first thing I thought is you can't say my son's name in the same sentence as passed away. I just, you know, totally unbelievable. Vanessa and I just cried, screamed, you know, um, of course. And so she stood there, there was a sheriff behind her just kind of down, there was like two steps. And she said, I'm sorry, you know, she was kind. Um, It turned, she told me where it was, which was about two miles from our home. He was on the way home. She gave me a very brief description that he was driving fast. We don't know exactly what happened, but he was going down the main street and it kind of goes down like, and there's an embankment on the side. Sometimes streets do this where uh-huh. there's a little overpass and actually it was kind of for a train, but somehow when he came down, he hit the median on the left side and then probably overcorrected and went all the way up the embankment, crashed into the bridge oh. and it rolled and hit, and it exploded into flames. Oh my word. It was, you know, as I'm sure you and any other parent can imagine, just unbelievable that it just couldn't be. And my daughter kept crying. They have the wrong person. They have the wrong person. He was my best friend. No, that can't be, or he is whatever. So it, we, you know, we just had to, I said to her, cause I think I was like suspended in this space of disbelief. Yeah. Disbelief. And it was almost like a twilight zone. It's like, it's not real. But I finally said to her, what do I, oh, I know. Cause I had said, can we come see him? And that's when she said, well, no, because the car burned, which made it worse, of course, because she hadn't said that at at the beginning. But so then I said, what do I do? And she said, call people. Yeah. Which made total sense. So Vanessa and I came, it took us an hour to start calling people because we just were crying. And yeah, I talk about hard phone calls to make, like to my husband. Yes. I know. I made those calls. Yeah. Not to my husband, but. I know, you know, I know, you know, and, you know, disbelief. He had to get immediately on. I mean, he was in charge of this trade show. He was running the trade show, but he had to leave, you know, and tell people, you know, what happened. So he got on a plane, you know, and called, of course, my sister and then his girlfriend, Vanessa, made some calls too to people. Anyway, it was uh, very terrible. And the beautiful part, and I think I knew it was beautiful at the time, but I really see it now is how the people came over. And I'm sure you and other people know that how they came, how they were here with us during this grief, just there. They came over yeah. various people, but by the evening, the house was loaded. Of course, all his friends and my, you know, the family and mm-hmm. They brought food, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And my husband finally was able, he had to like take a two planes to get over. So he didn't actually walk in until about 9 p.m. But he said that he was so worried about me right. dealing with this. And he said that he was shocked and overwhelmed with happiness that this that I wasn't alone, that there were all these people. And, you know, it was so bittersweet, I guess. And that night after everyone left and just us, you know, the, my, our three other kids and Joe and I, and we, he gathered us and he said, we will get through this. We will, we are here for each other and we will get through, even though none of us knew how, 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 how you know, but he didn't know how either, but he just knew that we were here and he was right uh, that we you know, it's scary. You never know what's going to happen to your marriage, to your family, 
when something like this happens. But mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that we are still here, still strong, still talk about Eric a lot and enjoy the memories and laugh. And but it took quite a journey to get here to this point. It's been, you know, six years, six over six years. Yeah. 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 Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Talk about that journey from the beginning kind of through. So I believe in I believe in therapy. So and I've been to therapists before. So one of the first things I did was look for a therapist. I found the most awesome grief specialist in the area that um, I was able to I spent a year and a half with her. She really helped me through this journey. I felt very safe with her and confident in her. And I also looked for and found support groups that have I believe that's so important to, yeah. it's just me. I know there are people that maybe aren't as interested in support groups or maybe in talking about it. I don't know. But to me, that is the healing is in the talking about it, is in sharing my story and hearing other stories. Mm -hmm. That is how we heal because, you know, you want to know what's the meaning of life, right? I just wanted to know what the hell is this all about, right? Why? why and why are we here? And I thought I was doing all the right, right things. You know, I have a spiritual connection. You know, I, I was raised Catholic, always never doubted for me, the existence of God. And, and yet here I was going, what the hell is this? I thought I was doing all the yeah. right things. Well, I, you know, I learned a lot since then. Books, many, many books that helped me just cope. I always had a book. I was always reading about grief or certainly about other people's stories and about near-death experiences because that really gave me comfort and hope and just spirituality in general. And I, everything changed for the better as far as what I believe. It's way greater. It's way overall more loving. And it helps me to have a little perspective on why these things happen. And I love how you talked about, you know, just really experiencing it, because we talk a lot about them on the podcast about, you have to feel it in order to heal it, right? In order for you to start that healing process, you have to feel yeah. it. And as painful and awful as that seems, it's so important with your healing process. And storytelling is a yeah. part <laughs> of being able to feel the feelings, you know, just going through the story again, listening to other people's stories, all of that will just help you feel, which is just so vital. True. Um, I've learned that. I I don't know, you may have heard of David Kessler. I, uh, I have joined mm -hmm. his groups. I took a couple early on. He had this um, like a five week online course which was extremely helpful to me. Um, I have since taken his grief educator course, but one of his many images or analogies, I guess, is that he says that there's, I hope it's, it's the right, I believe it's buffalo, but these um, wild animals that are in herds, that when they see the storm coming, they don't run away from it, they run into it so that they can run through it and eventually that brings them to the other side. And he said, that's, you know, how it is with grief, because if you try to run away from it, it's chasing you, right? It's always, yeah, it's there. And, and I know that it's so painful. And that's why people 
want to put it aside or want to, mm-hmm. you know, get busy with something else so much that they don't have to think about it or feel it. And I, I totally get that. And mm-hmm. for me, just organically, just let myself have it. I just, yep, just face it, just face it. Here it was, what am I going to do now? How do I help myself and in helping myself, my family, because I felt for them so much for each and every one of my other kids and the pain they were experiencing and my husband. So I, I was just gonna, I don't know, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to look at it. And I was going to read those books. And I was going to find my way somehow through it. And I believe that if you have that intention, you will, you will. And it sounds like your whole family, or at least your husband, had that same mindset from the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. Somehow in his experience, he, you know, in life, you know, being older, I, we do gather a certain amount of wisdom. We do have certain, we've gone through some of these experiences before, not the loss of a child, but other losses, which he and I both had. So I think we both knew that. And I'm glad we were able to show that to our children who didn't know what to do with it. Um, And they have each dealt with their grief in their own way. And which is beautiful to watch, you know, you know, because they all have various strengths and ways to keep Eric here with us. It's very beautiful. It It gives me comfort. It's almost like now I'm just feeling like, yes, maybe we help them, but they're helping us. And it's I'm so thankful. Again, I'm just grateful for that. Yeah, that is wonderful that you can help each other. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did you notice that from the beginning or has it kind of changed over over the uh, years? The way they grieve my children? The way they, way you help each other kind of? Um, it's evolved, of course. Um, one thing I'd love to mention that my son Nick does is that I just find so special and he still does it to this day and I'm sure he will for the rest of his life is, you know, we have the little cards, I call them holy cards, but the little cards that are made at the cert to give out at the services with Eric's picture, the quote. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was a quote of his own. But um, so Nick had a bunch of them laminated and he gave them to us. And every time Nick would travel, he loves to travel. And when he would travel and have this beautiful vista that he wanted to take a picture of, he, he so he's taking a picture, right, of that. And he's holding Eric's card in the foreground. <gasps> and he does that on every trip. And then he texts it to, to the family and or he'll post it on, you know, social media. And there it's so special because Eric is with him. Right. And his physical way of expressing that, that he knows that. Right. I love that too. I love how he just feels like he's taken him with him a little yeah. bit. So, yeah. So that's something he does. And um, it's been really, ext- I mean, hard on, well, all of them. Vanessa, who was just a little bit older than Eric, they were so close. And I'm sure, you know, they went to high school, to uh, all, all schools, elementary, high school, college together, had all this very same mutual friends. Right. I would say, think that 18 months apart, they yeah. were close. So it's, that's been her, own, it's been different for her in that, in that relationship. You know, everybody has a different relationship with him. And then they're, you know, that's how, what they're working with, but. It's very been very hard still. She one thing though I want to say I feel is her connection with him in a way is she has had these incredible dreams 
where they are hanging out. They are together. He still teases her. They hug. You know, it's just, I find that as a connection. It's, she'll wake up and, and feel very sad that she, you know, yeah. it's a dream, but uh, I don't know. I think it's a connection. But it's a, but it's a gift to have in that moment, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that. So we obviously release these way after we record them. So I'm recording this just exactly a week after the five-year anniversary of Andy's death. And two days ago, Eric and I, my husband Eric and I, went up to our cottage and we stayed for the weekend, just us. And at two o'clock in the morning on Sunday, I was woken up to this really loud popping sound and then a huge just crack and a crash. And I just screamed and woke Eric up and I said something really bad happened to the tree. So if if people who have listened may know that I have in, in my yard the oldest, biggest white ash tree in the entire country. So it's over 300 oh. years old. It's a huge tree. It's the co-champion with one from New Jersey, but it's it's massive. And a limb, a big limb that's as big as most large trees, cracked and fell at two in the morning, which is very emotional for us because we, you know, we love oh, yeah. that tree. There are lots of pictures, family pictures taken with the tree, a lot of pictures with Andy and his friends with the tree, Andy and his soccer team with the tree. A lot. Like when my family made something after he died, it was Andy's Bible verse, Andy's name with the tree in the background. And so, you know, to have part of that tree go down, it was a lot. And to have that tree go down on the five-year anniversary of the day we buried him (coughs) was just overwhelming, right? So I said something later to Eric. I said, you know, five years ago, today we buried Andy because of course the rest of the night I couldn't really sleep Eric did not really hear what had happened he said I think maybe it was just a turkey and I said no you don't understand the out loud that was something really bad just happened to the tree so of course at five six in the morning it's light enough to go outside and I went outside and and sure enough you know this big big limb is down and later I said to reminded him of the date and as soon as I said that I look out and and for me, one of the little signs that I get is cardinals. Like oh. cardinals will just fly in front oh, of the windshield. Like last week on Tuesday, on the day of the anniversary, I I prayed to God. Actually, I was I was walking out of the Y, and I said, you know, God, it would be really good to have a little sign of Andy right about now because I'm just having a really hard day. And we literally were driving home, and a cardinal flew in front of the windshield. So I'm there two or two days ago now. And I looked down right after I said this to Eric, and there's Cardinal sitting on this huge part of the tree that's now down on the ground. And the Cardinal flies off into a cedar tree and just sits there, like just sitting there looking at us. So again, I felt like, like, okay, God, yep, you're showing me that Andy's there. So anyway, those are, that reminds me of that, of that, you know, when you get those little gifts that are painful, but yet bring you comfort yeah. to know. Oh, yeah. To know. Oh, absolutely. So it's just, those are just hard, you know, you just have those hard things yeah. and, and happen, but but that are 
pretty powerful and and cool too. Yeah, it's isn't that strange? It's such a paradox. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Because you've still got the pain of it, but painful. It's like just a little bit. And then um we got the tree people. So this tree is obviously cared for by a lot of people and they come and they treat it for a Ashbor and it was just treated a month ago and and so one of the guys is is going to take some of the wood and cut it up into circles so we can make a plaque for Annie oh, out of the wood beautiful. of the tree. Oh, absolutely. Which will be pretty special, you know, because it is a, I mean, it's a pretty special tree. And, and it's so. going to, it's going to survive, right? It's not, okay. Yes, okay. yes. Yeah, it will survive. It's just, they, when they get that old, this limb went out at about 90 degrees and we, it had been kind of a drought here. And then we had a really, really huge mm-hmm. rain about two days before. So they think it just took up a lot of water and the weight just got too heavy on that one. Cause there was no wind. Oh. It was nothing. Okay. It just, just randomly just went. Oh. But I do feel like it went on the five-year anniversary of the day we buried him like on purpose, right? That wasn't. I find that symbolic. Definitely. That wasn't accidental that it was that day. No, I totally agree. Yeah, with that. Yeah. Yeah. There is definitely those, you know, right? You know in your heart that there's, it's of Andy, from Andy. It's maybe, or a gift, you know, from Andy or God or both or, yeah. That's how I. Yeah, right. I love that. I love how you said that. A gift from God yeah. or Andy or both. Because that's kind of how I think of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think of it. The other thing I did want to mention as far as my kids is that my daughter, Jessica, has she will express she's whereas my other two are a little quieter about their grief jessica will definitely talk about her feelings about the pain she'll text me a lot and have these long texts that blow me away with her insight and her that are philosophical and spiritual um and knowing that he's here and knowing he's uh you know she just had a baby our first grandchild and you know, the just the she would say about how Eric is, of course, there too, and you know, celebrating with us and all of that. So, yeah, they've all had their ways that I totally respect, and I think it's important in families to allow people to grieve differently because we all do. We don't all agree, agree the same, and some people might not want to talk at all, and that's what they need to do. And then others may need to talk a lot about it. And that's what they need to do. Yes. And it does evolve. That doesn't mean it'll always be that way. So. But to respect what they need, too, is really important. Oh, yeah. Really, really important. Yes, absolutely. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your faith journey through this, because I know in the email you wrote me, you said your faith changed quite a lot, actually. Yes. As I said, always believed in God, always prayed, always mm-hmm. used to have this list next to my bed for years. In fact, it was interesting. It was it was a list because over the years, when I heard about someone whose child had passed away, it pained, it was such a painful uh, thought or feeling. Uh, I would write their name on a list and I would pray for them and it would go on for years. And I, the list would grow, you know, as I start to hear about somebody else and somebody else. So every night, every night, every night, I pray, yeah, I think of them and pray, uh, along with just my general conversation with God. I always believed in conversation with God. When this happened, the list went away because mm-hmm. I was like, 
hold everything. Let's let's figure out what's going on here because I needed to take care of what was happening right here. I yeah, what allowed myself to be angry at God. I I've always thought that was fine. I didn't feel like there was anything wrong with that. No. Yeah. No. Ever. I agree with you. And I, in my readings, and some of them became quite spiritual. I found that I believed in a God that was in a box, and was a certain way. And when Eric died, that box blew open, and God became this. And I be, now understand how great. God is, how loving. He didn't do this to me. He doesn't do these things to us. This is part of this life here. I don't understand all of it. I don't even, and that's okay. I don't think I'm, we're meant to necessarily understand it all, but I now totally believe, I had a good, very good friend remind me when this was happening at first, about how God is right here with me and all that. And it was fine, but I wasn't, now I kind of get it more in a whole different way. I would go back in my new understanding and prayers or, you know, I passages from the Bible that uh, I read one way at one time, totally had a new meaning, a greater meaning, meaning I feel safe even though it's a scary world and it is, and it's just going to be that way. But somewhere in me, I know all as well. Uh-huh. You know, I know people, I wouldn't have thought this at first. Somebody told me in the beginning, you know, something about God's plan. I was like, no, not right. Not. I don't know. Now I'm saying maybe, but in a way how, I don't know. I don't, I can't explain it, but I think there might be a reason why these things happen, these things are other terrible things happen to people. I've seen good things come from it. And Mm -hmm. I think, what can I do with this? And if I can take what I have and help others any, you know, in, then that is a good thing. And maybe I think we, God is Definitely, I think is in us, right? Right, made in the image of us. I think yeah. we. I think God is here now. I think God is in the awesome experiences and also in the terrible experiences. Uh-huh. I had spoke to a. He was an ex priest actually, but through my church, he was an awesome guy. That they said, "Would you like to speak to this man?" I said, "Sure," because this was like two weeks later, and I was just crying the whole time. Why? Right. And you want anything, right? You're just grasping for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he was a really nice man. He's since, you know, he's not married and everything, but um, he said when he was priest and during 9-11, he was at the grounds of the Pentagon helping and that people would say, where is God? And he said, well, look, look at these people that are here, that are helping, that are volunteering, that are caring, that are supporting that's where God is. And when he told me that, I was like, yeah, that that's cool. But honestly, now I totally get that. Yeah. And you will find it. So I, I see the beauty. I look around at this nature. I talk about trees. I have this amazing tree in my front yard. It's an, a, probably about a hundred-ish years old pine, very tall. Uh-huh. When I'm out there just still and just allowing just to be mm-hmm. with this, 
God's creation, right? And it's just awesome. It's beautiful. And that can now fill me and bring me comfort when it's, you know, all the time, including when it's hard, on the hard times. But I think we are here to love and support each other. That's why we're here. So when these things happen, we get all that love from others. And then in time, when we're ready, we can offer that to other people when those things happen. So, you know, I love your analogy of the box, actually, of that you had God in a box and then the box just blew up. Because even going back to people that say, oh, this was part of God's plan, that is still, that's like, you still have kind of put God right. in this box that God is very separate from us and he has this very set plan for all of us to do, but it's, it's, it's separates things, right? But then when you, I love that blowing up example of now feeling like God is kind of everywhere and it, I don't know, it just changes how you think of it, right? Because I can't, the plan thing always bothers me too, because it's kind of like God set himself over here and then he has this just plan for the world and then yeah, that's what all happens. But that's not the way it works in my mind either. It's God is in yeah. everything. And anyway, I just love that analogy. That's one I'm going to take yeah. with me kind of forever is thinking about that, thinking about it in that way. A person I listen to is his podcast and he's a spiritual, what do you call him? Spiritual guy. I don't know. There's a word. I don't know. But at any rate, I love the way he says, and I think he actually got this from possibly from Thomas Merton. I don't want to be say that incorrectly, but God protects us from nothing, but sustains us in all things. And I think that's true. It's not like I, if I pray enough, I'll be protected and then too bad for the other people if they didn't pray enough. You know, I mean, it's not that. It has nothing to do with that. We are all loved. But this things do happen. And so, yeah, we God doesn't stop these things from happening, but is right there sustaining us when it does. When they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I want you to talk a little bit about the writing that you've done now, because you've done some writing. You talked about an article you did for the Huffington Post, right? And is that was that the initial kind of writing or how did that start? I journaled, of course, when I was in therapy, my therapist recommended and I, I was good about I mean, I didn't mind journaling. Some people would don't like it, but it was fine. You know, I, I did. journal. OK, yeah. So I journaled over the since the beginning, these last six years and a few months and at one point, as we were, oh, I was working with the therapist, she said, so do you have a book in you? And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then I think about a year in, she said it again. I said, I don't know, maybe, but we'll see. And then somebody else said that. And then it, then it became like, hmm, should I do this? You know, is, is there yeah. a reason why people are bringing this up? And I would say that at maybe the two-year point, I was driving to work. It was my final year at school and I was driving to work and it was it's only like a 15 minute drive. But all of a sudden I just got, your book will be like this. This is going to be, these are the chapters. This is what you're going to talk about, blah, 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 blah. And it really felt like, a, I don't know, it really impressed me. I went to work and wrote it all down, but I didn't do anything about it till almost a year later when we had shut down. 
and COVID came and, and mm-hmm. I said, okay, I think it's time because you know, there we were, right? We weren't going anywhere. Right, right. So I sat down and spent a few months following that same outline that I had received, so to speak, and just told the story of Eric and of what happened and everything that I'm pretty much telling you and more. So that was my first book that came out in 2020 called Look Around, A Mother's Journey from Grief and Despair to Healing and Hope. So I had that. And then last August, I went to this conference for parents whose children have passed away. And it was really, really awesome. And when I had started a blog, by the way, also earlier in 21, started a blog, just kind of writing about these themes, you know, spirituality. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a blog about the conference because it was it was really impactful. Someone in the organization reached out and said, you know, I think you should submit that to the Huffington Post. And I just went, oh, really? You know, how do you do that? <laughs> so, yeah, but right. I looked it up and what do I do? And I had a little cover letter and all that. And I sent it in and they responded and said, yeah, we're interested and worked with an editor. It was interesting how that worked, but throughout the day and went back and forth with how she thought it should be shaped or how much more information she wanted me to add in. And anyway, so I have this article that they published back in October of this lap, uh, 22. It was, I was, I don't know. It just kind of fell out of the sky. Seriously. It that's how it felt. So then after that, I said, you know, I've got all this poetry. Uh, when I write a lot of times, it just comes out, especially if I've been meditating or if I've been praying and I just, these words come out a certain way and, and I like them and they feel good. I thought, let's just put them together in a book. <laughs> so starting in about, I don't know, January, I guess, till now, that's what I've been doing. It's going to come out in September. It's called A Bird Called Wisdom. The title came from a dream I had. And it's just the same story, kind of. In free verse poetry, it's not rhyming from the beginning that first day when I got that knock on the door and through till now. So yeah, honestly, had no idea I would ever, ever do this. And I kind of, I feel that it honors Eric and that is what I want. Two things, it honors Eric. And I have had responses from people that say it helps them so much. And that's all that matters. Honoring Eric and I'm helping others. This is what you do. You honor Andy. This podcast honors him and is helping so many people. And I just feel like there's some meaning I can make out of what happened. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you can do with him, right? Yes. Yes. You know that. That's a beautiful thing too, because you can't make new memories with Eric. I can't make new memories with Andy. But in doing the podcast and in doing your book and the article and the poetry, you are making memories with Eric as you do that. Yeah. Right? I Yeah, absolutely. And I feel him with me. I'm sure Andy's right there with you and, and yeah. pleased and glad that you're doing this. And I know Eric is, you know, with what I'm doing. And, you know, that's why we're here. That's what I think. Yeah. 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 And that is, you know, I do think about that often. I think, man, he would be proud. Oh, he he be, he's always such an excited kid. He'd be so excited. Oh. And Eric would be so proud. <laughs> so proud of what you've been Absolutely. able to do. Even though it's been so, so hard. Absolutely. Absolutely hard 
terrible and you know life is terrible and horrible and awesome and amazing and it's just both it's both yeah, yeah. and i found that grief and joy can coexist i didn't think that was possible at first but i have found that yeah i love that you say that you know many of my listeners are very very early in their grief i have found that you know i get emails from people my son died two months ago. My son died five months ago. My, you know, just all of these things because people are grasping because you just want anything, right? That's what we were talking yeah. about early on. You just don't know what to do. And so you just grasp for anything. So what kind of piece of advice might you give to some of those listeners who are just still so, so early? I would say that if you will allow yourself to move, to evolve, to grieve, and to evolve through that grief, you will. Yeah. I know people say, I will never be happy again. I will never, you know, whatever, get over this or however they want to put it. And I know that feeling because, <sighs> yes. But I also think if you say, maybe I can be happy again, maybe there's a way, maybe I can live again and maybe I can do this, I believe you will. I think it's your intention. It is oppressively painful in the beginning. It gets better in that it changes. There's more of a lightness. Yes, I don't have guilt about laughing. I don't because I think Eric wants that and would is laughing too. And and you know I think we are here to enjoy and it, even the really difficult challenges. It's again, it's that whole it's all mixed up together. And anyway, if you believe you can, you might heal and healing, by the way, doesn't mean that one day you're going to go, Oh, I'm done. I'm healed. No, it's lifelong. Yeah, It's lifelong. It will evolve. It will change. But if you allow it, you can get to a place where maybe you will feel joy again, and maybe you will smile and laugh again and have memories of your child. You can remember them. This is a David Kessler quote, but you can remember them with more love than pain. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great reminder. I know that I was in that group that did said that I will never, I will never, I will never. Because it was my husband that called mm. me out on it. And he, he had said, I just can't hear you keep saying what you'll never be able to do again, and what you'll never feel mm -hmm. again. Because you need to have hope that yeah. you might, you might. And that's the thing. And I think that's all you can do early on is you can just have a little glimpse of, well, yeah, maybe. maybe. And that's why I think things like the podcast or reading books or being in support groups can be so helpful because it can make you see, well, you know, if she can do it, maybe I can. Maybe it's not impossible. It feels impossible today. But maybe it won't feel impossible next week or next month or next year. And that's what we really need to try to just give people a little glimpse that it's possible. Oh, yeah. Just allow the possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Eric, with us today. And what's the name of your new book again? And how will people be able to find it? The new book, uh, which will be out in mid-September, is called A Bird Called Wisdom. 
so it'll be on Amazon. Yeah. And by the time this airs, it will already be available. So we will be able to look for that. Okay. <laughs> a bird called wisdom. And, and I'll try to put the link right in the write up that I do. And, and then you can find it also on my website. So as a reminder to people, go to the website, andysmom.com. Every episode is on there. Every episode will have lovely pictures of these kids. So you can see pictures of Eric and you can see pictures of Dolores and you can see all of that along with, with little write-up in the links that I do too. So if you sign up on the email list, you can get that email to you every single week. So you can get every bit of just, I don't know. I like the images. I like to be able to look at somebody and see what they look like a little bit while while I'm listening. So yeah, again, thank you, Dolores, so much. Thank you, Marcy. You have so generously provided this space and this time for people who are going through this and for healing. And I'm very grateful for you. So thank you so much for this opportunity too. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.